0: This morning, we are wrapping up the second of our two summer series. The the first series focused on Jesus' invitation to follow him, and the second on his invitation to continue in the ministry that he started. The the two invitations, to follow him and to be sent out into the world, they're, they're totally connected to one another. And the way that we respond to those invitations says a lot about how we understand what it means to be a Christian. During the first week of this SENT series, we explored Jesus sending out the 12 disciples, and then last week, the 72. In both cases, he sent his followers to places that he himself had been, to Jerusalem, to a few towns or villages along the Sea of Galilee. They were tasked with proclaiming that the kingdom of God was at hand, and then to get to work to actively bring healing and restoration as they were on their way. It was essentially an invitation to be an extension of Jesus's earthly ministry, dealing with what was the present world at the time. It was daunting, but at least it was somewhat familiar. The passage we're exploring this morning is about being sent out into the unfamiliar, to quote Anna from a song from Frozen 2 that rings out often in the roadie household, into the great unknown. In the Gospel of John, before the resurrected Christ shows up to the disciples and and says those words, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you, he had a few conversations with them about how ministry would look after he was gone. These were conversations that took place right before his arrest and crucifixion in John chapter 13 through 17. It it starts with Jesus washing their feet and explaining why he had to and ends with a prayer for them and, and for anyone else who follows them in ministry. Between that foot washing and, and the prayer, Jesus assures them that they won't be alone, even as they're sent out into the great unknown, into unfamiliar places, out into a, a world full of adversity, a world of uncertainty. These words of comfort should be paired with the warning that was included in, in the last two weeks that we unpacked where, where Jesus tells his followers that they're, they're sent out as lambs among Wolves. Starting at John chapter 15, verse 26, we read this. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who comes from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. You also are to testify because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said these things to you to keep you from stumbling. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, An hour is coming when those who kill you will think that by doing so, they are offering worship to God. Again, lambs among wolves. And and they will do this because they have not known the Father or me. But I have said these things to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that that I told you about them. I, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him, the advocate, to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin, because they do not believe in me about righteousness, because I am going to the father and you will see me no longer about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been condemned. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. For this reason, I said that that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When my grandma passed away about 10 years ago, my dad asked if I I wanted to preside over her memorial service. Of course, I I said yes. It it was an honor. But as her service neared, I found it increasingly difficult to wear both the the hat of grandson and, and the hat of pastor. The other day, I was reading through some of what I wrote for her message, or for the message at her service. I talked about sitting around the dining room table at Grandma and Grandpa's house, about playing cards at their dining room table, about the art that Grandma had painted that, that hung on the walls and on an easel in her, her washroom, about the electric organ in the in the living room, and, and the giant cork board that had pictures from every stage of the grandkids' lives. And, and then I said this. That their house... had had the feeling that grandparents' house should. As a young boy, I remember it feeling foreign because it was full of old people things. It wasn't quite home, nor, if I'm completely honest, was it all that comfortable. But I knew that every time I arrived, I was safe, and I was in a place where my childhood mind could wander into one mystery or another. I also knew it was a place where I was loved, no matter what I had done. Grandma Ella and and Grandpa Bill's house was simple, and everything in it seemed to serve a specific purpose. In the first passage we read this morning from John 15, Jesus invites the disciples to abide in his love, in the same way that he abides or dwells or remains in the Father's love. Abide, it's, it's one of John's favorite words in his gospel. It's where we get the word abode or, or dwelling, and it carries this powerful image of making a home or a living space with the sort of intentionality that my grandparents had in their house. In the series of conversations between Jesus and the disciples in John 13 through 17, he invites them to live within his love, to make their home in it, as he did in his father's. But it's not the first time he used this image, this image of abiding. A few verses earlier, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be with you. This time, it's not followers of Jesus abiding with him or Jesus with the Father. It's something or someone else abiding with them, with us, the advocate, making a home with us. We we don't really have a a single word in the English language that captures what Jesus is saying here. The the literal translation for the, the advocate is a helper who comes alongside so depending on the interpretation of scripture that you, that you read, you'll, you'll find advocate, as we do here, or, or counselor, or witness, or friend, or even because the title is often paired with the phrase, the spirit of truth, judge. As Jesus prepares the disciples for his departure, he, he assures them that they, they won't be alone, that the advocate will be with them and, and continue to be with us. Our second passage this morning explains that role that that the advocate plays. What the Holy Spirit does is it makes its home, his home, in our our midst. First, Jesus says the Spirit convicts. One of my my two favorite Billy Graham stories comes from the mid-90s. It was right after the Monica Lewinsky and and Bill Clinton scandal, and and Billy Graham showed up at a Clinton Foundation event. A a lot of the the media hammered him for, for being there. And as they asked questions, he, he responded in a way that seems foreign to a lot of the Christian leaders today who get caught up in partisan politics. He says, It's God's job to judge, the Spirit's job to convict, and my job to love. What words of wisdom easily forgotten in a world of, of finger pointing and grandstanding? God's job to judge, the Spirit's job to convict, our job to love. There's a lot to unpack. In these three verses, the Spirit will come and point out what's wrong with the world, sin and the failure to trust that Jesus is who he said he is. Uh, secondly, what's, what's ultimately right in the world, that Jesus was sent by the Father to bring healing and restoration and would be returning to the Father. And, and, and third, who wins in the end? It's God's job to judge. Jesus knew what was coming that, that following weekend on the cross and, and that the victory would be sealed with the resurrection. In fact, it was it was already done in Jesus' mind. So, so as the advocate abides with us, the church, we're collectively pointed toward Jesus, convicted of the world's unbelief, to find ways to sustain our belief in and through difficult times and to remember that Christ really is at the center of an ongoing battle that, we see, but is already over in God's eyes. As I said, theologically, this is a lot to unpack, but Jesus doesn't stop there. The Spirit also guides us in, in a, a very specific way. It guides us toward the truth. Earlier this week, I was having a conversation with a few of my friends who are our dads, and we were talking about how it's difficult to to bring up hard topics with our kids sometimes. And my buddy Ryan, who has boys that are a bit older than than my kids, said, my tact is to help help them discern between right and wrong on their own. We we talk about listening for the Holy Spirit in situations and ask, does that feel right? As a parent, it's so easy to fall into the trap of wanting to prepare the road for our kids instead of preparing our kids for the road ahead. And it's not that the, the Spirit guides us in a way that's always just about feeling because it's so much more than that. But in the same way, a parent knows there will be times their child has to make a decision when they are not with them. Jesus knew that the disciples would make decisions without him physically in the room. There would be controversies. There would be disagreements for them. There are controversies and disagreements for us today. And the advocate is there to guide us as we aim to remain faithful to Christ while navigating through those challenges. Lastly, the the spirit glorifies. We read, he will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. For this reason, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The advocate who makes his home with us points back to the one who promised that the Advocate would come, who was sent by the Father. The good news of being sent out into the world to continue the work of Jesus, whether whether that's traveling with a purpose on a mission trip, what we're just navigating each and every day in our neighborhood while we we go to work, while we go to school, while we go grocery shopping, just while we're on our way, The, the good news is that we don't go alone. The Holy Spirit, the advocate, the helper who comes alongside is with us, convicting us, guiding us, and glorifying the Father and the Son along the way. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for the reminder that, that we are not alone. We ask that you would be with us this week, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.